And as we continue on through our series of Acts, I want to let you guys know that today we started a mini-series within the Acts series that is entitled, you guys wonder what it's called? Marching On. And here to talk more about marching on through the battles, take a look at this awesome video. Good morning. My name is Sergeant First Class Joseph Ma. My family and I recently started attending Canyon Hills Church after moving here from Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I'm currently in Fort Knox, Kentucky, taking a course on how to counsel soldiers to better their military careers. Pastor Hopper asked me to open up his sermon today about marching on the battlefield and tell you how we in the military prepare to deploy, engage, and defeat the enemies of the United States of America in a completely unclassified and in accordance with the operational security way. The first thing is, we have to get ourselves physically and mentally ready for the fight to come. If we cannot take care of ourselves, if we are not mentally tough, how can we possibly take care of others? Second, we come together in small groups and we train together. We build that trust in each other. We train for the mission to come. Once we've established that trust in each other, that no matter what happens, we're gonna have each other's backs we move on to the next step. We merge other small groups together into a platoon or a company. During this time, we train together as a whole. We learn to move as one. We learn how to accomplish a mission as a whole. It is only once we're able to move as one solid unit, we are able to deploy and defeat the enemies of the United States. In the same way, I have to be ready mentally and physically prepared for the fight for Jesus Christ every day. I'm excited to hear more about how we as Christians can ready ourselves to march onto the battlefield for God. Amen. Amen. Well, I appreciate Joe doing that. Joe is a new member of our church. He just started attending a couple of... Um, probably about a couple months ago, and that's kind of exciting. Kind of, he's right now in Fort Knox, so I had him send me that video. Also, with all the break-ins, I decided to hire a security guard that would stand on stage and uh, always be here. That's Gary. Hey, Gary, how's it going? Not a talker. Okay, so we are in the middle of a series, and it's called Marching On, and today, as you might have told from Gary and the uh, illustration with the video, we're talking about marching on the battlefield. And it's kind of fun to see over and over how Paul continues to press on, but sometimes it's not so easy when he does it. When Joe was talking, a couple things I noticed, he said, personally, we have to train to be mentally tough for the battle ahead. I love that. I'm like, okay, you, you kind of think of the army just out there fighting, but the truth is they have to mentally prepare ahead of time to personally be tough and ready for that. They had, he talked about how they have to learn and train to trust each other. They get to this point where they learn how to trust each other before they actually go on the battlefield. And then they talk about, or he talked about how they move as one unit, even though they're deployed as different parts. Pretty humbling knowledge to realize that how much you have to prepare mentally, personally, as a unit before you ever go out on the battlefield. And when we talk about spiritual warfare and what Paul is going through, it's similar for him 
and in our lives. We're going to be in Acts chapter 19. If you're on the edge, will you pass the basket of pens down, pull out your notes, and turn your Bibles to Acts 19. We'll be there for most of the time. And then as you're doing that, you may notice I also talked about Acts 19 last week. So this is the second part, or the second half of that chapter. The first part is Paul in Ephesus, as we talked about last week. And things are going pretty well at this point. He's been there two years so far. And when he was there, he started the, the little school thing that he was doing. Missionaries have been sent. Churches have been started. It's been incredible. And when things are going well, lots of people jump in. It's an exciting time for ministry and what God is doing. It's when things begin to turn, and they always turn, as we see over and over, this turn that happens, and it becomes challenging. Are you ready and willing to move forward in those moments? So that moment comes in verse 23. About that time, there arose a great disturbance in the force. A silversmith named Darth Vader, I'm kidding, Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business, the one of making gods for people to worship. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia, which is kind of a, tells you how well Paul was doing. It was going really well, so well that this guy is kind of annoyed. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, also losing of income, I think this is the real story here, but also that this temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious. They began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And soon the whole city was in an uproar. So when things are going prodigious, everything's going well, uh, lots of people jumping in, it's all fine. It's the point when a riot breaks out, and the people start getting angry, will you be able to march on the battlefield at that point? Now, I do want you to see the insincerity of, insincerity of Demetrius here. He's obviously stirring up the crowd and angry because his business has begun to suffer because all of a sudden people are not worshiping these little gods that he made. They're worshiping a god that's not made by human hands. There's also irony because he's stirring up the crowd, trying to get them all excited about Artemis, He's trying to get them to remember Artemis when the truth is it's more about what he's making and how he's making money off of it. But as I look at that, I think we kind of do the same thing at times. You know, things are going well, but then challenges come. And all of a sudden we use these challenges to stir up the pot of our home life, our family life, our work life, and church life, and start to think, all right, I don't know if I can do this. And then we find things wrong with that, that we're not going to do that, we're not going to go there anymore, all that. We stir this pot when things become challenging, when things become um, a little bit more costing us something. We have to begin surrendering things. And in those surrenderings, 
when it's costing us something, that's when the truth comes out on are we willing to push through and march on even when challenge hits our life? Or will we march on when it costs us something? We have to sacrifice. Joe, in that first video, he talked about getting yourself ready before you can march for Jesus. Demetrius is angry and creates a mob. Why? Because he realizes this new God's costing us something. There was a financial risk at stake. And I doubt it. I don't really believe this. But maybe even his faith was at risk. And he actually was starting to have an internal battle, Artemis versus God. I don't know if that's true, but let's just give him the benefit of the doubt that he's having a faith crisis as well. And it's in these moments we have to decide, are we willing to go on the battlefield and fight? And what is it that we will have to sacrifice to do it? So that's the question I want to ask you today. What is the sacrifice that you have to make to march on the battlefield? When Christians everywhere begin to follow Christ with their life, there's sacrifices that usually take place in repentance and things you have to give up, things you have to change in your life. Those are those moments of question. Are you really all in and willing to move forward? Even when the riot breaks out or the mob or whatever it is that comes back at you, are you willing to continue to move forward and fight at that point? When I look at Paul, I see a man who did that over and over and over again. And he did it with this peace and power that is so impressive to me. I'm, I'm continually blown away at the kind of peace and power he has, even when a riot breaks out. Listen to these next verses. Verse 29, the people seized Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. So they already grabbed his buddies. And all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. So they grab his friends, and he wants to go and stand in front of the mob. Now think about Paul. In Lystra, he was stoned, almost stoned to death, and then he walks back in the city and continues to tell people about Jesus. In Philippi, he's beaten to death, or not to death, but almost to death. And you see in the next verses, he's singing, which is incredible. Now he's being attacked by Demetrius and a mob's breaking out. What does he want to do? He wants to go in and talk to the mob. This is a man who continues to show us what marching on the battlefield looks like. And yet we see God step up and take the place of all this happening. Look at verse 32. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. Typical mob, right? The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples or blasphemed our goddess, 
If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In this case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. And after they said this, he dismissed the assembly. It's amazing. A city rioting and a mob mentality, and he gets up, says this, and they go, okay, and they all walk away. This is, this is God intervening for Paul once again. I want the type of peace and power that Paul has because what I see is he's willing over and over to do what God has called him to do, and God steps up. He has this peace and power over and over again, and it seems like the world is against him, and yet God continues to step up for him, to stand up for him, to lead the way for him. There's a reason I think this is. I don't think it's just by chance that God chooses Paul. In your notes, I give you a couple reasons why I think it is. One is this pure heart that Paul shows. He doesn't seem to have another agenda. When I watch Paul, I'm so impressed. I so like I look at him as, as this true hero in the Bible because there's no other agenda he's pushing. He's continuing to try and show Jesus Christ this greatest hope and love to our world. Over and over and over again, he's just giving this message of Jesus Christ. In fact, he's building tents on the side to make enough income so he can live and continue to share this message of Jesus Christ. That is a pure heart, getting attacked over and over again and pressing on, marching on no matter what. If our motives are pure like this, God is going to bless that. That doesn't mean it'll be easy. We confuse blessing and easiness far too often. You don't read that in the Bible. Uh, Paul's life is not showing us an easy path forward, marching on for God. That's not what I see. So God will bless us, take care of us, protect us, but not how the world says of those things. The world would say of those things, that means nothing bad ever happens to you. That's not what the Bible says. What we find instead is that God will hold you, take care of you, protect you in good and bad. That's life, but he's going to hold you at every point along the way. He has a pure heart, but he also has a clear conscience. When I watch him, I don't see this struggle of doing good or struggling with things in the darkness, struggling with this, God, are you telling me to do this or should I not do this? There isn't that struggle. And the Bible is not shy about our heroes having struggles. There's a lot of stories of different characters that had that. They would be one way one day and one way another. So it's not like the Bible is going to hide it. But with Paul, we do not see that. We see someone who has a clear conscience continuing to share Jesus Christ day in, day out with a pure heart and a clear conscience of doing the right thing all the time. And finally, when I look at Paul, I see this prepared soul. Think about what Paul writes to the Ephesian church. We, get, we are lucky enough to see the Ephesians, these chapters, are, these are letters that are written to the church right here in Acts 19. And when he writes this church, what does he talk about? In Ephesians 6, he speaks of this armor of God. 
and he describes each piece. Now, why to the Ephesian church? Well, this is the church that had the sons of Sceva. This is the church that had a riot and a mob break out. He's telling this church, are you prepared? You need to constantly, always be prepared. And then he goes through the entire list of things and ways in which you should prepare yourself. He starts off with this belt of truth. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waists. Why? What is this, this belt? Well, notice first that it says stand firm. Stand firm, this is partly because when you march on a battlefield, when you begin to share your faith, you begin to do something in your neighborhood or at work or wherever you are, you're leaving yourself a little bit vulnerable when you do that. If you stay in your holy huddle, in your foxhole, if you will, if you stay in a foxhole and you have your weapon, like you only go to church, you never venture out of that moment to actually do something out in your community, if you're always in that spot of comfort, then you feel protected, right? You're in there, you've got your machine gun or your social media just waiting and just shooting out your weapons of attack. That's a pretty safe place. When you move off of that and you start doing things and you start putting yourself out there and you start sharing Christ with people, there's two things that happen. One, you have to like, it takes a little bit of, of brave boldness to do it, but you're also stepping out and leaving yourself a little bit vulnerable. In an army setting, when you attack, one of the first things you prepare is what's your defense? Because when you attack, you're leaving something vulnerable behind you. If you send troops across the world, you're leaving the actual place you live a little bit vulnerable. It's the same with spiritual warfare. When you put yourself out there just a little bit, you are opening yourself up for an attack. So this belt of truth is saying, I know the truth. I am spiritually aware of the truth. And as I step out and put myself out there and I'm a little bit vulnerable, I'm going to continue to hold on to the fact that I have the truth. I know what's right. And when the attack comes, I will still be able to say what's right, what the truth is. It happens to be the piece that holds everything else together, holds your pants up, if you will. It continues that verse that says, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. This breastplate, the, the thing that's protecting your heart. It's about righteousness. See, if you are one way in public and one way in the darkness are your secret places, it's hard to move forward like that. It's hard to be effective like that. One, I don't know if God's going to bless that, but two, you're going to constantly be thinking about that. You're one way in public and one way in private. This piece of armor, the breastplate of righteousness, it protects your heart. In the Bible, the, re, the way the heart is used is always, are usually using it to describe the soul. Your soul is what it's talking about most of the time. So like a heart for us is that life blood push to the rest of the body. You protect it because that's kind of pumping blood to the rest of your body. When it comes to what the Bible speaks of in spiritual warfare, it's your soul that you're protecting. Because if you don't protect your soul, what happens in private, what you do when no one's looking, then it's going to affect the rest of your body and everything else you do as you move forward. The enemy attacks the soul, the heart of who you are. 
You need that breastplate of righteousness to fight that. Verse 15 says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Put on your feet shoes of readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Satan wants to steal your peace. This is number one thing he's going after. He wants so much anxiety inside of you. He wants your mind filled with all kinds of worry. He wants you to worry about stepping out and doing something and all that could happen before you ever actually step out and learn what really happens when you step out. This is the attack of the enemy. Shoes of readiness makes sense because it's about moving forward, walking forward, marching forward, even when the enemy is attacking your mind and telling you all the reasons why you shouldn't or all the reasons, all the things that are going to happen if you do. And shoes make sense because think about the battlefield and every kind of whatever that's on the battlefield, you're going to want shoes of protection moving through that. The history mentions that the military successes both of Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar were due in large part to the armies having better shoes. When they talk about why their army was better than their enemy, they speak of the shoes. The way they could move with speed over rough terrain, their shoes were better than their enemies. So shoes matter, and your feet have to be protected. The spiritual battle is being ready. Do you have the shoes on that you're ready to march on the battlefield? For myself at night, I find myself waking up in the middle of the night, 3 a.m., and just thinking about ministry and God stuff and my job and all the different things that could happen. And so I have this sort of ritual that I do. If I don't quiet my mind, I'll be up the rest of the night. I might as well just get up and start working. And there was a time period when I did that. And then I started really taking these verses seriously. And I started working that this was an attack from the enemy with anxiety and worry. And I'm going to put the shoes of readiness on. For me, what that was is I worked through the Bible, the verses I had memorized. So I'd worked through Psalms 23. And then I'd worked through Proverbs 3 in my mind. And then John 3. And then Psalm 150. And then Romans 6. And if I, if I had not fallen asleep at that point, then I would start singing songs that have verses in them. And I would sing those songs in my head. My favorite one I still use is Romans, I'm trying to say it. It's the one that says, Romans 16, 19 says, be excellent in what is good, be innocent in evil. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. I don't know why you didn't join in. I was expecting you all this to <laughs> jump in and join in. Does anyone even know that song? That's like an old Sunday school song. No one? Oh, it's a great song. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it again. I will tell you this, and this is no joke. Without fail, if I go all the way through that, sometimes, now it happens way sooner. But if I get to the song and I start singing the song, I do fall back asleep. And I realize that God is actually doing this in my mind. I'm taking this stand, and I'm putting on the shoes the gospel of peace, and I'm using verses to pull all that anxiety and worry away, and the next day, I'm ready to fight again. That is the shoes of readiness. 
The next thing he talks about is the shield of faith. It says, in addition to all this, take up your shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Why? Because you're not going to march on a battlefield without faith. Faith is key. It's a complete trust in something bigger, someone bigger than whatever you're facing, whatever issue you have. It's even in your life you're saying, God, you're bigger than my home issues, my financial issues, my work issues. I have the faith that you're stronger and bigger and better than all of that. It's Paul in Lystra saying, even though they tried to murder me, I'm going back in. And in Philippi and in Ephesus, over and over, standing up and saying, I have a shield of faith so I can march on again. It's interesting, this time period, the Roman soldiers had this strategy of joining their shields together for strength. I love that look because what this did is it made them a strong force where they could move forward as one group and pretty much take out anyone. Because as one group, this shield would just be a powerful push and then they could attack while they were pushing the shields forward. They became stronger as they united together. It's an incredible military plan for that day. And when I think about the church and what we do in here, that's kind of the picture of it. We bring in our shields of faith and we put them up next to each other to take on the challenges that we're facing. And we are stronger when we are together. In fact, if you're not here on a Sunday morning, you're actually making us weaker. You're hurting our strength. Like you're out on your boat having, you know, playing journey songs, and we're in here <laughs> a little bit weaker because you're part of the strength of us moving forward. The truth about church is this. You can listen to far better sermons online with speakers with a lot more degrees and just way better, right? You don't have to agree, but thank you. <laughs> And worship music, the worship music that they are putting out, I mean, they're putting a new song out every week. I can't even keep up anymore. It's amazing how much worship music there is. So going to church, that's not really what it's for. It's the shield of faith. When you come in here with all of your difficulties and challenges, and we, have, we all have those, and we come together and we put our shields up, we realize as we leave this place, we're marching forward so much stronger. You make us stronger when you are here. That's the power of this room and this church. The next one is this helmet of salvation. Now, helmet of salvation is interesting because he's, he's writing to the church. Theoretically, they're all saved already. They already have salvation. Salvation is accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. So what is, what is he doing here? What is the point of telling Christians, like many of you probably already are saved, to continue to put on your helmet of salvation? That does not mean that you need to continue to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. You only need to do that once. What he's speaking here is the authority that you walk around with. See, right before in Acts 19 with the seven sons of Sceva, there's these guys walking around, these seven sons, and they're claiming something and casting out demons in an authority that they don't have. In fact, one of the demons, as we talked about last week, goes, um, I know Jesus, and I know this Paul that you're talking about, but I don't know you. And then the demon-possessed man jumps on them, beats them up, 
strips their clothes off, which is the best part of the story. And the point being is this spiritual warfare is walking with an authority that you have the Holy Spirit. You've accepted Christ. So you can speak with the authority of Jesus. You can cast out demons if, if that scenario ever comes up. But basically, you're speaking with an authority that God rules here. God rules my life. And the helmet of salvation is a protection of your mind and your brain that continues to tell you who is the authority in your life and in this world. That's why you put that piece on. The next one's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Why? Why do we need to know the word of God? Because you're going to have very little to say if you don't have this. Your sword is literally scripture that you speak. Think about Jesus. When he was fighting Satan in the wilderness temptation, what did he use? He used scripture. Now, the crazy thing about that whole story, if you go back and look at it, this fight in the wilderness, is three times Satan quotes the Bible at Jesus to get him to do something. So Satan uses the Bible as a weapon against Jesus. And Jesus responds with, well, the scriptures also say, and that's how he fights the devil. In order to use the Bible as a weapon, you're going to need to know it very well. Because if Satan's going to use it against Jesus, a person who probably knows the Bible fairly well, right? If he's going to use it against that guy, why would he not use it against you? Someone quoting scripture to get you to think about something in the wrong way. You have to know it so well that you know how it's actually supposed to be taught and what God actually said in those verses. And when verses are misquoted, you can use it and say, well, the scripture says this, and go right back at them, whoever that enemy may be. This is serious, serious stuff. And he reminds them, he says, the real battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. March on in power in a real battlefield daily by putting on all of your armor. He's telling that to the Ephesus church. He's telling them because that's where the riot and the sons of Sceva and the mob all breaks out. He's telling them this is how you prepare yourself. Do you also know that that's for us today? That we have to prepare ourselves in the city that we live in, where we work, the neighborhoods we live in, always Put on this armor and prepare yourself for the battle ahead. And there will be some sacrifice. There'll be something that you may have to give up. It might cost you something. Dr. Donald Barnhouse tells a story where he was walking through the battlefields of Belgium. And he walks down the city, the city of Mons. And it was where the great German retreat happened. And so along this street, is artillery, tanks, trucks, machines of war, just ditched along the sidelines as the Germans were retreating at that point. And it was a beautiful spring day. The sun was shining. And he noticed a leaf fall and land on his belt. And so he kind of grabs the leaf, but it disintegrates as it was dead. But it's spring. It was long past fall, long past winter. 
how are there leaves falling? And he looked up and he noticed there was lots of leaves falling and he realized what was happening. Underneath the roots, there was new growth happening. The tree trunk was going up. The branches were coming out. All this life was happening and there was sap. And the sap pushes out anything that's left over, everything that's dead, from whatever didn't fall in the fall, whatever didn't die in the winter, whatever was left, the sap pushes off the tree so that new growth can begin. And as he looked at that picture, he realized that's what the Holy Spirit is doing within us. There is a past, a something in your past that you have to let go. There is a sacrifice, things that you need to release to God. And what the Holy Spirit does is as you're putting on this armor, you're beginning to let the sap push out all that is dead, all that is not supposed to be there anymore, and say, I'm, I'm surrendering this. I'm sacrificing it. I'm giving it to you, Lord, because new growth is beginning. That's what happens as we prepare and march on the battlefield. And today I want to call all of you to what is it that you need to sacrifice? What is it that we need to let go? And as we start this song, will you stand with me and we pray? This morning I asked the elders, the pastors, and the prayer team uh, if they would be ready to pray with you today. So if you guys will go to the sides in the front, uh, we want to take a moment in the service today and just allow us for some time of sacrifice. We all have things we need to continue to sacrifice to God. And when we put on the armor of God, each of those pieces are pretty unique. So there's some things that you may need to say, God, I need to be doing that more. I need the shoes of readiness because anxiety and worry are things I don't want in my life anymore. I need this, this shield of faith because I need to start being bold in my faith and know that you are the truth. I need the helmet of salvation. Yeah, I accepted you as my Lord and Savior, but I'm not, I'm not speaking with authority as if you dwell in me. So whatever it is that you need to lift up to God, what I want to encourage you to do today is confess it. There's, there's healing in confession. Or if there's something that you need to sacrifice, there's healing as you sacrifice it. So as this song begins, go to one of these pastors and just begin to confess what you need to sacrifice and move forward with. And if you don't feel comfortable with that, I do understand. But grab whoever you're with, a loved one, a friend, and just pray. Confess it. And when everyone has prayed, we're not, we're not going to move forward until everyone does this. So when everyone has done some kind of confession of prayer this morning, we'll finish with this last song.